Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Check the calendar. It is, in fact, true. We are on the eve of another hockey season. Maybe not such a good thing for a lot of Red Wings fans if you're not a glutton for punishment. It's been a rough few years, and I anticipate that'll continue. But I'm going to get some more clarity on that for you and for everybody else in our wonderful audience, because I have right across from me the best hockey writer in the state of Michigan, Max Boltman from The Athletic. Max, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. It's very nice of you to say. I, I appreciate being here. This is a pretty unbelievable studio you got. I appreciate it. I know you're a Michigan guy, so I hope I don't offend your senses no, too much. Your skin isn't burning or anything like that. So I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, uh, ever since you, you came into the market, and a big supporter of The Athletic and everything that you guys do. And I, I think your coverage has been top-notch. So I'm hoping you can help me make some sense of what this team is doing, where they're going. I'm still not sure exactly what's going on with with the rebuild. I know I do trust the man in charge. So just you wrote a really good article about a week ago now outlining what does a good season look like for Detroit. No one is going to say they're winning the cup. I don't know really anybody in my circle that's saying that they're even going to make the playoffs. So you talked about it in your article. Tell our audience what does a good season look like? What's successful for them? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know the state that they're in, right? They're in a years-long rebuild that is not ending this year. It is not ending next year. And so you have to kind of figure out what are the things that they need to actually accomplish. And there are some things that are obvious. They need their young prospects to play well. They need their young players to play well. Uh, and they need to draft well. I think those all go without saying. You will not win if you do not do those things well in the NHL, or at least you won't win for very long. Um, but those things aside, I tried to figure out what are the things that the NHL team can do this season that you can look back on and say, those are important things that they did this year. And really caught in my head, what it came down to is they need to undo last year and get back to where they were in 2018, 19, where they were a bad team. They were not a miserable, disastrous team. They lost a lot of games by one goal. They did not lose a lot of games by three, four, five goals. And as you know, that happened a ton last year. I think they lost 30 games by three or more It's goals. the most embarrassing team I've ever seen in that organization's history by far. And it's arguably, other than the 0-16 Lions, the worst team period in Detroit that I've seen in my lifetime. Well, what I think went wrong for them is that you look at those two teams, I'm talking about 2018-19 and 2019-20, the roster's not that different. I don't think Gus Nyquist makes that difference, right? Gus Nyquist, Nick Jensen were the two big guys who were on the 18-19 team, not on the 19-20 team, right? So what were the big differences? They seem to not be able to stop the bleeding. They seem to let one goal turn into two or three goals in a four or five minute span on the ice. Uh, and they seem to let one loss, two loss turn into four, five, six loss. So that to me is the number one thing that needs to be different this year. And I think they would agree with that. I think anyone in that locker room could tell you that things spiraled for them last year. They, they, I think there's a lot of not only good players who are better than they showed last year, but good guys in that locker room who I think could tell you that uh, when it got bad, it got really bad and it, there's correctable things they can do different. And so to me, I, I just tried to look out or, uh, you know, look around the league and, and you know, on, on the note of uh, how much they're losing by, I, I just said, basically go back to the same ratio you're losing by in 1819. Uh, easier said than done from my perch, obviously. I don't have to go out on the ice and do it against NHL players. And then I said, for the losing streaks, mimic the team that better than any other team in the NHL, in my opinion, 
doesn't let it spiral despite not having elite talent. There's very few teams in the NHL who without elite talent are, you know, really in it like the Minnesota Wild are. Um, they've got great blue line. Ryan Suter is one of the best of the generation as a defenseman. I really like Jonas Brodeen or Jonas Brodeen. Uh, Matt Dumba's great. Uh, Jared Spurgeon, the perpetually underrated Jared Spurgeon. Great blue liners. They're better than the Red Wings, no doubt. But they managed to keep their losing streaks very short. They very very rarely had a long losing streak, more than two or three games. They were able to come back and battle. And that's the kind of character that I think the Red Wings want to build. And I think it's the kind of character they need to build because when they get this thing back on the upswing, I think we can say right now they're at the bottom. Hard to go any lower, right? When they get back on the upswing, adversity is going to come again. It doesn't work like you have your good years, then you slide a little bit, then you have your bad years, and then it's just better and better and better, and it's parties, right? It's not perfectly linear. Not at all. Right. So even when you look at the teams that everyone remembers from their youth as the great Red Wings teams, well, what were the Red Wings you know, known for before they did it in 96, 97? They couldn't quite get there, right? They, the adversity kept coming. So you build that identity now of a team that can respond to adversity and you can make your way. It doesn't mean you're going to be immune from it when you do get into the playoffs. It doesn't mean you're not going to lose in the first two rounds the first couple of times. That probably will happen. Um, But if you get used to being able to rebound now, it just sets you up so much better organizationally. It's a better development. We talked about that at the beginning of this, right? The development that they need from their young players creates a better environment for development because it doesn't wear on guys like it does when you're coming into the locker room after your fifth straight loss, your sixth straight loss. And oh, by the way, it's your third six-game losing streak in the last two months, right? Like anybody in any profession, I think, can relate that when you're just – when it's hitting you hard like that, that's not easy to 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 just, you know, summon the morale to then do a great job the next night. It gets harder. I think it compounds with how difficult it gets to play well, let alone to win. When yes. it's happening like that. And and you can't you can't conjure up the enthusiasm. I mean they are right. humans at the end of the day. I do think your answer really lays out how bad things are. Sure. Because if you back up and first of all, I don't disagree with anything you yeah. said. I think you nailed it in your article, and I think you just nailed it outlining it now. But the two sort of pillars that you just talked about are Lose by one goal instead of two or three. Mm-hmm. Still lose, but just lose less badly. Well, less often, too. Yeah. Well, and less often, but you also said – I'm not disagreeing with no, you. No, no, no. You're, you're fine. Just, you're fine. I'm just saying – and the second pillar is, you know, lose three and four in a row instead of five or six. So this is sort of – and you're not wrong, but it's it just shows that this team is so far off. The fact that they've had absolutely no luck in the lottery is there's nothing you can do. I mean, mm-hmm. as short of being into the conspiracy realm, which I'm not. No, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, we're, we're not lunatics on this show anyway, not in that regard. There's nothing you can do about that. Certainly would help. But as bad as things have been, I want to pivot to this. Jeff Blaschel has been here for about, what, half a decade now? Mm-hmm. That's a long time. I have always said the same thing I said about Ron Gardenhire with the Tigers that I don't know how I'm supposed to sit here and assess the job when it's a job that nobody could do well. Ron Gardenhire, it doesn't matter. A.J. Hinch in the past few years, Joe Torre in his prime with the Yankees, doesn't matter. Tigers were going to be bad because their roster was totally inept. I think it's similar with the Red Wings where I don't know to what extent the best coach in hockey, whomever you think that is, would have made that much of a difference. But at the same time, I'm surprised a little bit Jeff Plashill is still here. And I'm a gambling guy, Max. <laughs> so we pulled the odds. And I'm going to have Ben throw it up there for our viewing audience from Bet Online. Jimmy Shapiro season. 
This is, excuse me, sir, the NHL coach is most likely to be fired. Jeff Blaschel at number one, eight to one. And then, you know, for the people that are just listening, Rick Tockett, Arizona, nine to one, Paul Maurice, 10 to one. And then it just goes on and on. But Blaschel is the odds on favorite. This was as of uh, four or five days ago on Bet Online. And this is, you know, Odd Shark has something, Bovada has something. He's the odds on most likely first coach to be fired. I'm surprised. Why do you think they retained him? And did you agree with the decision to retain him? Uh, I did for a couple of reasons. I I think number one, you brought up, you know, how hard it is to really assess the job someone's doing. Um, Jeff Blaschel is really well regarded among coaches around the league. And I know there is a degree where coaching like any other kind of there's not many of these jobs like there is, I guess, sort of an allegiance among coaches to not you know, drag each other. And I, I can't understand people having skepticism around it. But, you know, he's a guy that USA Hockey's hired to coach their world championship team multiple times. He's a guy who's won at every other level until he got to the NHL. He's earned a lot of benefit of the doubt. And I can understand Red Wings fans feeling like, OK, well, where does that end? Um, but it is a thing where I can understand it. If you have a guy who has come up through your system, cause he came up as an assistant and then in Grand Rapids and he won in Grand Rapids, uh, and then he came up and, you know, it hasn't worked yet, but I would point to, I, I looked this up a few months ago, uh, the, the stats on his first season as head coach and the top five or six scores, I think all five are gone, but it might be four of the top five. I don't know if Dylan was in there yet in his first season right but it is like it's not just that he got there and they haven't gone up it's that top five or might even be six i don't know how many it was but they're all gone so it's not just that he couldn't build something you know they gave him pieces make it work it didn't happen it's that they were subtracting every step of the way right like it's you're you're building something and every step someone's pulling one of those little jenga tiles or whatever and you're like how am i supposed to keep this from falling right so there's that. And I people can have different opinions on him as a developer. I understand them. You know, the Dennis Chalowski one is the one people will bring up all the time. Um, you know, has, has he been developed perfectly? But I think you can just as easily say, I think Blasio has been the only pro coach for Dylan Larkin, Anthony Mantha, Tyler Bertuzzi, Philip Peronic. Philip Peronic had some time in Grand Rapids. So Todd Nelson and Ben Simon get some time there. Um, Zadina, same deal, but, you know, NHL coach. So if you're happy with those guys' development, and by the way, from what I understand, I've not been on the beat the entire time those guys were coming up. But from what I understand, uh, there were similar contentious debates going on around ice time usage for some of those guys as well. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's been going on. Right. Yeah, forever. And, and it will for every yeah. NHL team. Red Wings fans <laughs> yeah. are not unique in this. Exactly. Everyone wants to see their young guys and they want to see them now and they want to see them succeed now. Um, but I think, again, at every other level until this, it's worked. And when you look at the individual players who are supposed to be building around here, it's mostly worked. Evgeny Svechnikov, weird situation, injuries seeming to derail him every year or every other year. Uh, Michael Rasmussen, I think it's debatable. We'll see what happens there. He's a big log. He's going to do nothing. And I, I don't put that on Blashill either, by the way. Well, I blame that on Ken Holland. Well, I mean, you can debate like the upside for sure. But I'm, I'm also thinking like Michael Rasmussen could be a, a useful NHL player because of what he can give you on both special teams, right? Like, even if it's just that, and that's not what you want at 10th overall. No, no one's saying that power play specialist, but yeah. you know, penalty kill power play. Can he be a good defensive center? No one's trying to draft a third liner at ninth overall. I get it. But if you, if you get a good one, then when you're good, maybe you're still not happy about where, you know, what the resource that you used to get it was, you're probably not mad. You have the player. So 
There's that too, but you're right. It's not really germane to the Blaschel conversation. So. I, I just, you know, backing up again with Blaschel, I am flabbergasted by anyone having a strong opinion either way because these people saying, oh, fire Blaschel. Sure. Based on what? And the people that love him, which is a much smaller number, but they're out there, the Blaschel defenders, it's like, well, I don't know what you can say is really good. I mean, there, it, he, he, it's like the longest incomplete grade in the history of pro sports where the guy's been here half a decade and I still don't even know if he's a good coach or not. I mean, it's, it's, I'm fascinated by it. It, it, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. And, and I'm certainly not here to tell you that, you know, you're looking at the second coming of Scotty Bowman or anything. But like you that. think he's solid. Do, do the players like him? Well, again, similar thing here, right? What player is going to come out and say, I don't like my coach. Right. But they haven't quit on him. Like, I don't think, I don't think anyone could tell you they've quit. Even last year when they were getting run, it was in these little spurts mid game that they would let three, four, you know, three, four goals in, in five, 10 minutes. And then it wouldn't, you know, they, they wouldn't get run too often, 8-0 or something. There was that one game on the uh, night before Thanksgiving against Toronto. That was bad. Uh, there was an 8-1 game against the Islanders. That was bad. And you could tell in those locker rooms it was bad. But 18-19 at the end of the season, 19-20 at the end of the season, 18-19, they had like a seven-game win streak. They're not quitting on him. You know what I mean? Like, you don't if, – if, if you don't like yeah. your coach, is that happening? Uh, no, and that's fair. Do you agree with the assessment that he is – the most likely to go first. Do you think he's that close? No, because if, again, if last year didn't do it, losing's not going to be what does it. So in, yeah. the only way that he would go first is if something like really bad happened. Like I think one of these, the, the guy who goes first is a team that's supposed to do something. Tockett makes sense there. Yes. But I like Tockett as a coach too, right? And they, they wouldn't got Kessel kind of for Tockett because him and Tockett click, right? Dallas Eakins uh, in, in Anaheim. Again, like the guy, but Anaheim is not supposed to, I mean, they've been in the last few years, one of the bottom teams, but they're a team that still should at least threaten. They've got John Gibson in that, like they should be able to threaten to be in that four or five spot. If they start two and 10. Right. And, and, that, and that's a great point. I mean, the bottom line is if you have no expectations, you can't fail to meet them. I mean, and that's, that's, that's where we're right. at. And that is the frustration that I think a lot of people have is, is for most of us, for you or me in our day-to-day -day jobs, it, we have expectations of X. And if we don't hit X, we hear about it. Pro sports aren't like our jobs. And it's the hardest thing to understand day to day when we try to assess people because we want, you know, we, we want our prospects to develop because we're trying to groom them for the future. But and, and so we're going to hold them to high standards, but we're not going to hold those same standards for XYZ veteran who hasn't played very well either, but isn't seeing his ice time cut. What gives? That's inconsistent. Well, yeah, it is inconsistent because the motivations are inconsistent. One guy I'm trying to teach habits. One guy I'm trying to get me through the game. They're, this is not how we operate in the real world. No, they're, but it's in, not the they're real incompatible. World. They're yeah. incompatible. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So you know, I've had this discussion and think, speaking of things, I have a strong opinion on almost everything, Max. Okay. The wings, I'm flailing. And this is where I hope you can help me. I've gone back and forth on this. I, I don't know whether I want them to shock the world and be competitive. We know they're not going to do anything good. But shock the world, be competitive, be competing to squeak into the playoffs. Maybe they squeak in and get blasted in the first round. Maybe they miss it by two points. Or just completely bottom out and God willing, for the first time ever, not get screwed in the lottery. You're talking about culture and you're seeing a successful step towards improvement, being being more competitive, not losing so much. Yeah. What's better for the long-term health of this franchise right now? Being that competitive, scrappy team, we know they're not going anywhere, but, you know, maybe they finish middle of the pack, you know, bottom third, 
but now they're picking 11th mm-hmm. or 12th or just being terrible at least one more year and then you get a top three pick. Which one's better for the long-term future? If you get the top three pick, it's a conversation in most years. I'd say this is an unusual year. I don't know how big of a draft neck you are. I am, and we're going to talk about a guy from your alma mater in a second. Is it Beniers? Owen Powers is okay. my guy. All right. But, okay, there, I mean, there's multiple the points. Yeah, they got a few. I cut you off. So, I mean, we'll we'll throw the Owen Power highlight clip up, and, and then I'll let you finish. Yeah. But this guy, look, I'm not a scout, but Owen Power is this giant defenseman from the University of Michigan who was not getting this level of buzz like even a few months ago. But now some people are saying Owen Power, six foot five, almost 230 pounds, pretty smooth skater. Mm-hmm. Drawing comparisons to guys like Chris Pronger. I mean, high praise, but my point is if you can get that, and whether it's power or somebody else, you can get that cornerstone. I would argue this organization doesn't have one elite prospect yet. We'll see about Lucas Raymond. Mm -hmm. He might be there, but I think they'd be better off with that type of a piece than just being scrappy and quote-unquote building the culture. And then six months from now, they still don't have a hot young prospect. I get it. No, and that you know that it, they're fair conversations to have. I'm not. I'm not going to dismiss this because it's a, it's a legit conversation. I go of, back of and what's forth. better. Absolutely. Yeah. So, the, I'll approach it from two ways. Number one, just philosophically in principle, if you set up a, a situation where your players don't think you're trying to win, it's hard to muster that motivation to be good, and then it makes it hard for you to even know what do I have in my team, right? And you know, these are wildly different sports. I, I love baseball. It's probably my second or it, it was kind of my, uh, well, it, it held my attention the most as, as a kid because you have these long summers and nothing to do. And every day there's baseball. So I've got a huge soft spot in my heart for baseball. And you look at these organizations in baseball, Pittsburgh Pirates, for example, and you got Garrett Cole and Garrett Cole was a number one overall pick. And he just wasn't quite a number one overall pick when he was in Pittsburgh. He showed it, but it just wasn't happening. He goes to Houston, a winning culture, a winning team. And there's some analytic stuff in here. There's some, you know, some pitching stuff, especially that I think is unique to baseball. There's no doubt about it. And now Garrett Cole is a Cy Young and he's a $40 million man or whatever the number is. And he's a guy. And I I know there's actual active, um, you know, scientific pitch efficiency, whatever, pitch design stuff that works here for these guys. and, And that's different from hockey. But I also think you know, you're in that situation and how does it not, if you're a competitor, how does it not bring out the best in you that, that, that you know, this is what it is, right? And I, I'm not saying, I don't want to speak for Garrett Cole. I've never spoken with Garrett Cole. I'm not trying to say that, you know, he couldn't muster it in Pittsburgh or he couldn't have with the right coaching. But I just think, you know, don't underestimate what being in this environment that's going to push you um, can do for your development of your young players. And so, the acquisition side, there is no doubt. It's better to pick high than pick low, period. But it's a trade-off of once they're there, do you want them to enter an organization that when they get there, everyone's pushing each other day-to-day and holding each other to account day-to-day because the whole the whole way they've been there, the whole way they came up, the guys ahead of them did it for them because nobody checked out, right? That matters to me, in my opinion, right? And in my own professional development, like I've got an unbelievable boss in Craig Custance who, you know, I'm not going to say he's like on me every day to, to do, but he sets such a standard, right? I think he's one of the best hockey reporters in the world. And when you're looking up every day at one of the best hockey reporters in the world, and I can do it around the horn too on my company, like 
you know, oh, we got, you know, Mike Russo, Minnesota, Aaron Portsline in Columbus, whatever. These are your teammates, right? And they're setting this standard. Well, I got to go set that standard because I don't want to be the guy, you know, under the athletic banner head that's not doing it, right? Like there's real value in that. And, and I'm not, again, my job is not like pro sports. None of our jobs No, but are, you but are a human being. Exactly. And they are human beings. Exactly. There's something to be said for it. Yeah. And so I think it, it matters a ton for development. It matters a ton so that, you know, when you get out of it, you know, everyone can speculate about what went wrong in Edmonton or Buffalo. But those two teams unquestionably did exactly what we're talking about and they hit it perfect. They got McDavid, Darlene, Eichel, Dreisaitl. How many playoff series have they won? They haven't done anything. And they don't even make the playoffs most years. And, you know, um, they've made mistakes too. Like it's not like, you know, Casey Middlestep being better wouldn't have helped them or it's not like name one of the Oilers, you know, mistakes that couldn't have helped them, whether it's trading Taylor Hall or, you know, I don't know, uh, what's the guy's name? Yakupov. Yeah, was a Nail Yakupov. Right? Plus, exactly. But everyone, everyone in the whole league everyone would have thought it was a slam dunk. He was the consensus. Right? So what if you draft Yakupov this yeah. year, right? That's the thing. I mean, and that's, I, you know, that's where I go back and forth where obviously you said it. I mean, from a talent acquisition standpoint, it's obvious which yeah. way you'd go. Right. You know, tank Palooza, let's go. Yeah. But I wonder what irreparable damage you're doing to the pieces in place. And I agree. for most general managers, maybe I would lean a little bit more towards that I want to bottom out and pick at the top of the draft. But with Steve Eiserman, who for my money, and you can call me a homer, Max, I don't know, maybe you agree. I think he's the best general manager in the entire league. Certainly up there if you disagree. He's up there. Yeah. He's, there's no doubt he's up there. I mean, I, Joe Sackick's got a great case with what he's done in Colorado. Incredible. Um, I'm trying to think. They were in a so similar quick. doldrum. <laughs> as, I mean, they were terrible. Yeah. As the, as the Red Wings were. You know, but he's right up there, whether you put him at yeah. one or three. Yeah. So he's a guy where I don't need to idiot-proof the draft for him. Okay, you know, here you go. He's the number two prospect consensus, and you got the number two pick. Nice and neat, and put a nice draft pick. record is not at the top of the board. I'll say that. Okay, that's in fair. Tampa. But in Tampa, but you know, he later right, round drafted one of the best players in, in the league in what the second round. But right. uh, you Absolutely. know, no, that's fair. I yeah. mean, but that's everybody. Yeah. He has more more hits than uh, the average. It speaks Joe. to the randomness of the draft more than anything. I think, I think so. Yeah. But the point being, I I trust him not to hit on every draft pick, but I yeah. trust him to hit on his fair share. To where I think, I mean, honestly, you're kind of even making the point that, you know, in the later rounds is where he's been scoring a lot. And that's sort of how the Wings made their bones. I mean, look at where Datsuk was drafted, Zetterberg was drafted, Wittstrom was drafted. None of these guys were top 10 picks. Yes. Sixth round, seventh round. And so I, I, I don't, you know, I'm on the side. If I had to pick, I want to see them be competitive this year. But you ask me tomorrow, I might change my mind. I mean, that's, I don't know. Well, so here's the other side of it. Now let's talk about the practical in this year's draft, right? Yes. So we talked philosophical about what you want if, if you know in, in year X. Right. Talk about 2021 draft. I like Owen Power. I think he's going to be a really good player. I think he has a chance to be a great player. You mentioned Hedman. If he's Hedman, okay, well then like maybe you do whatever it takes because you're going to get Hedman, who I think yeah. is the best defenseman in the NHL. Yeah. Yes. In my opinion, at least. Yeah. Like it, he's top three. Similar deal, right? Similar yeah. to Eisenman. <laughs> yeah. Hedman is the Eisenman yeah. of defensemen. Right, right, <laughs> so, right, right. Okay. So uh, if he's Hedman, no problem. What if he's Ekblad? Number one overall defenseman. Big, moves well, a little bit of offense, can be a shutdown guy. What if he's Ekblad? Do you tank for Ekblad? Yes. You do? Matt, it's close. I like him, though. I, I, I like him. Yeah. It's, he's a one, but is he a elite one? Yeah. Uh, it's more of a conversation. It's not Hedman. It's not. It's not. Exactly. It's not obvious like Hedman. Right. Is. 
So if he's that, you know, like, you know, I love Miro Heiskanen. I think Miro Heiskanen is going to be a top three to five defenseman in the NHL someday. If I thought Miro Heiskanen was there, you do it. Yeah, you'd be pretty tempted. Although you still can't guarantee one. You got an 18% shot at it. This year to me, there's like seven guys and they might go in any order. You mentioned Owen Power. He might not even go the highest on his own team. That might be Matt Beniers. I think Power will go higher. But Matt Beniers just had a, a great World Juniors. He's a great two-way center. I don't know if he's going to score enough to be at the very top there, but he's a winning player. You know, Kent Johnson, Trevor Zegers just won World Juniors MVP. Kent Johnson has kind of the hockey sense that you go, and we get a kind of a mini Trevor Zegers out of Kent Johnson, right? And I'm not being a homer here. These, these are guys here uh, at Michigan. These are all just Michigan players, those, those three, that I think are all going to go in the top 10 to 15 picks. Then you've got, you know, in, in Ferlunda, who the Red Wings have turned into their prospect factory in the last couple of years. Simon Edvinson, is he going to go that high? Carson Lambos is uh, out west in the, in the WHL. Luke Hughes, there's a third Hughes, right? He's committed to Michigan for next year at the NTDP this year. One of the youngest players in the draft. Do you swing on his upside and say, oh, am I getting a taller Quinn? Because Luke's like 6'1 or 6'2. We're going to get to Quinn Hughes. Hold that thought. Yeah. Because that's that's a sore subject in this office. That's fair. Uh, but you see what I mean? So, so if you don't even know who you're tanking for, am I really that worried about the difference between picking seventh and tenth and fourth in that in this draft? I wouldn't be. Yeah, and that's fair. Yeah. So all right, you convinced me. You you win. I I I'm I might change my mind tomorrow, but I'm all for I hope they finish around five hundred. Which would be which is, yeah, that's the thing. I mean yeah. I, I fluctuate. So this has been probably not to uh put words in your mouth, I'm guessing one of the most frequent questions you're asked if my anecdotal experience is anything uh that's bearing your reality. The next captain of this team, mm-hmm. you probably get asked this a lot. Is it Dylan Larkin? Should it be Dylan Larkin? Because I have some real concerns about not Larkin versus somebody else, but just picking Larkin at all. This is a guy that was very immature coming up. I don't know how much your experience um, bears this out, but we've talked about it in the past on this show where had a reputation for partying, showing up to practice, you know, two seconds before just making it. I don't know if you've heard any of this stuff. I saw him personally. I've only been on the beat for two seasons. I, I know, but, yeah. I, you know, you're around it. I've heard in the last year or so he's, like, completely buttoned up. But I, I'm just – I wonder, is that the next captain when you think, not to be a snobby purist, but you think Iserman, Wittstrom, Zetterberg, Larkin would be the answer that doesn't fit with those other three. I mean, this is like a, which one of these doesn't belong. I have concerns, not that captain is a little bit overrated anyway, but I have concerns. Do you think he is the guy and should be the guy? Yeah, I think he is the guy and should be the guy and should be the guy because he is the guy. Like he's a guy who, you know, you go through the locker room and you want to know, you know, who, who do you go to after they get run off the ice? Who's going to give you the best explanation for it? And it's Dylan Larkin. And, you know, when I got onto the beat, um, I, I was a little intimidated by Larkin because it was my first like full time beat. This is your beat. You own this. And he was kind of the guy who everyone looked to. And it was it was like, OK, well, how, you know, how do I approach this guy and ask him for this or that? And and so that was an interesting process. But in two years, I you know, I feel like I, I did a story with Dylan toward the end of last year where we just talked about what is the effect of a season like this on you? And I felt like the way that he you know, took the experience and kind of contextualized it and, and and basically was already using it to fuel him. The quote, I think, was like, it's hardened me or something like that. And it, it was very self-aware. It was very, 
not woe is me. It was very, I have to take this and, and make it make me better because what's the other option? That, those were kind of the vibes that that, that, that interview gave off. Um, and I think it's exactly the standard that you want to set. And so um, in my opinion, I think he is the guy and I, I think he's the guy that they would look to, the guy who, he sets the tone for them in every practice, like he's going all out. Um, so I, I don't, you know, like you said, I don't have familiarity with stuff you're talking about. I'm also not sure I would let it change my mind that much. I, I care more about who somebody is than yes, anything he can, else. He, and I think he has changed, but it's just it, a lot of it's personal experience. Some of it's rumors, which I can't talk about because sure. you're getting into slander territory, uh, you know, because it's hearsay. But, you know, I know personally. You know, I saw him out in Royal Oak like night before a game his rookie year. He's not 21. You can put two and two together there. I'm not going to ask you to comment on that because it puts you in a bad spot. Right. But I'll say it because I saw it. I just look, most of the players do it. You know, we have Colin Coward on, on the desk here, and he's, he's a guy that we love uh, on our show. Coward always talks about, like, I don't care if my wide receiver is out partying so much. I don't care if my cornerback is. I don't want my quarterback to be the party guy. The question around Larkin is, I don't, you know, do you want your captain to be that guy? Maybe he's not that guy anymore, but those were sort of the whispers early on in his career. We can talk a little bit off the air about his reputation amongst some opponents in his league for mm. being kind of a jackass. And like he's, uh, you know, I, I just, I had, there's some red flags there. I'm not saying absolutely not. I'm just, I'm concerned. No, no, I hear you. I mean, like for me, I wrote this today. Uh, I want my opponents to think my, you know, top defensive, my top center is that's, a jackass. That's fair. I that's want fair. them to hate playing against <laughs> my top fair. center, right? Like I want They all hate feel... Patrice Bergeron and yeah. yeah you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I want that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I just, you know, in all of my experiences with Dylan, I've talked to many people around him, you know, obviously in the last couple of years, the, I, I don't hear very many bad things about him. Now I know what my job is. I know people can be cautious around me because if they, they think if they say the wrong thing, whatever, hear that. But, um, you know, everything I've heard about Dylan makes me say that this guy not only is a leader, but is a guy who sets the standard. And I think those two things go hand in hand. I mean, ultimately what it comes down to, and someone told me this recently, I thought it made all the sense in the world is that if you're going to be the captain, obviously people think about it as like addressing the room or whatever. And I'm sure there's some of it that goes with it. But the other thing is like, if you're going to talk about those things, you have to be able to go do them, right? Dylan Larkin goes and does the things that you want your captain to tell other people to do, to battle, uh, to, to play hard till the end. Like he's the guy that in the last minute and a half on, you know, of, of, of a loss is the one who, you know, makes it at least like, oh, maybe they're going to cut it to one here with the empty net. Or whatever. Like that's him, you know, Anthony Mantha is their best scorer, but in the last minute and a half, who's more likely to score you a goal? I think it's Dylan. Yeah, I, I think Manta's the best talent too. I I think Wings well, fans he's a six five powerful. Yeah, he's right. a freak. Yeah. I, I I think Red Wings fans, and this is a separate conversation, but I think Red Wings fans overrate Dylan Larkin. Like if I just, I mean, I watch probably way too much hockey, frankly. But when I watch around the league, like if that's your one, you know, one C, your your top line center, you're not winning shit. Like nothing. You disagree by the I, I do. And, and this is what I wrote today. Like, it's like you look at who the one C's are on the champion. Okay, there's Crosby and there's Backstrom, and those guys are Crosby and Backstrom. Yeah. But all half the time, it's Kopitar, it's O'Reilly. Kopitar is a much better player than, at, at his peak than Dylan Arkin. But, you know, Dylan's 24 and he's on the rise. Yeah, here. Andre like, Kopitar at 24 was much better than yeah, Dylan. And he, he was in a better situation. But, I, I, you know, I, uh, granted, yeah. Kopitar at 24, I'm not going to argue that. It was yeah. better than Larkin. But 
what they are is it's it's the profile. It's not the guy who scores doesn't have to be the guy that scores 100 points. It's an elite two-way center. Ryan O'Reilly to me is the perfect example of if 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 Dylan becomes Ryan O'Reilly or at least has Ryan O'Reilly's level of impact as a two-way player, then you can win the cup. But you got to have a Braden Shannon and an Alex Petrangelo and a Colton Franco and a Vladimir yeah, Tarasenko. He's not going to win it for you himself, but you can win with that guy because he's your two-way defensive center and all these teams have it. Go down the list for the last decade. You got to go back to like 04 or whatever it is, Lightning, to find a team that didn't have like a guy who was like a top 20 Selkie getter. Yeah. As their I, one seat. You're, again, you're not wrong, but you do have to have those supporting pieces in place. No question. No and, doubt. And, and, I'm not saying they can do it next year. No, I know, but I just, I, you know, and I, I'm with you. Like Bert Bergeron, uh, Crosby has said, I don't know if he's ever said it on the record, but I know he said it kind of off the record that uh, Patrice Bergeron is like the hardest player for him to play against. Yeah. Like he just, and he's not like a hundred point guy. I mean, he's, he puts up points, yeah. but he's not, he's never been top 10 and, you know, going for the Maurice Richard. Like four or Selkies though. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. yeah he's yeah, unbelievable. Exactly. So I, I'm with you on that. I'm not saying Larkin needs to be a, a 40 goal, 50 right. assist guy. I'm not saying that. I know that. I just don't think Zetterberg was never that guy either, say yes. for one or two years. And I think Zetterberg was a much better player than Larkin's like ceiling is. So, and Zetterberg wasn't that 100-point guy either. So, I just don't see it. I think he's a good second line on a good team. And and that's a separate argument from the captain. But I think it's a good conversation. I've had this conversation before with people where it's, how many teams is he the 2C on? It's probably 15, maybe 20. I have to look at it, yeah. You know? That like, sounds about right. But if he's on those teams, they're like top three, top four teams once you add them to it, right? So. Of course, if you're the Red Wings, you should want to have Shane Wright. You should want to have a center better than Dylan because it's going to make you really, really good. But I think, again, I'll come back to the the St. Louis mold. You know, if your top two centers are Dylan Larkin and Braden Shen, I think you have a shot with the right talent around them, you know, but it's not Crosby and Malkin. No. Everyone wants Crosby and Malkin. But again, we've talked about this with the lottery. One and two pick. If you're not getting a one and two pick, you're not getting Crosby and Malkin. One and two pick in the right in year. Consecutive drafts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in, but in the, in right, the right year. year. Yes, exactly. Right. No, you're not wrong. Yeah. But the, this is the thing that blows my mind. And it's one of the most crazy statistics in all of hockey. That the Detroit Red Wings have not had a single 40-goal scorer mm-hmm. since Marion Hulse scored exactly that many in that uh, ill-fated 2009 season mm-hmm. where they should have won, but half the team was in the infirmary. It, to go over a decade, there have been some bad teams. You know, even Zabenejad for the Rangers, they weren't bad, but I mean, they were a sort of a fringe team. He rolls out of bed and scores 41 goals in 56 games. Like, yeah. out of no, like, I mean, he was good, yeah. but nobody saw that coming. The fact that they have not had a, a single 40 goal score in more than a decade when some of those teams were actually good, I mean, get good players, fascinates me. The reason I bring this up to transition is I thought they had finally. That 40-goal guy, the next 40-goal guy, the first since Marion Hossa over a decade ago when they drafted Philip Zadina, six overall, in 2018. He was not supposed to be there. I would have taken him. I cannot kill anybody for taking him. He was a consensus three, maybe fourth best prospect at worst in that draft. And But you know, if you ask the analysts, obviously the general managers thought differently. Ends up going sixth. Not going to kill Ken Holland. There's plenty I, I could kill Ken Holland for. That one I won't. But you look at his comparison to who went right after him, Quinn Hughes, you can always play this game. I'm not going to just sit here and play hindsight, but it is 
something that makes you want to stab your eyeballs out. Whereas Zadina goes six overall, same age as Quinn Hughes, who goes one pick later at seven to Vancouver. The stats are what they are. I mean, 37 games played for Zadina, 73 for Hughes, 18 points for Zadina, 56 for Hughes. And honestly, you know, numbers go in one year and out the other, especially if you're just listening to this. But to put this in perspective, if you look at the projected award winners, the gambling odds, which again, I'm a gambling guy. This is what I talk about, Max. You go to Odd Shark, you go anywhere else. Philip Sedina is not on the watch list for anything, yeah. for zero awards sure. whatsoever. You, I mean, the Hart Trophy on um, Odd Shark goes like 75 or 80 names deep. He's not mentioned on any of these lists. Whereas you go across one pick later to Quinn Hughes, again, same age for Vancouver. He's the sixth most likely to win the Norris this year. And it's actually only like a couple spots behind whoever the favorite is. I can't remember who they have at number one. Point being that Quinn Hughes, 21, is a number one bona fide franchise defenseman. I don't expect Zadina to meet that 40-goal expectation. I've already bailed. But you watch this guy every day professionally. He doesn't seem to be fully engaged. Is it too early to call him a bust? Do you still have hope for Zadina panning out to some extent? Yeah, and, and it goes to what you just said, the engagement. It's been way up for the last two weeks, more than I saw it you know, This previously. is big. This yeah. is interesting. Now, I don't know if you got to see the stream of the scrimmage last I did night. not. He I had not. four or five takeaways in that game, in that scrimmage alone. Now, he's playing against the Red Wings, right? And so, like, that's the... The problem there is it's an inner squad, but, you know, he strips to Kaiser going back, comes in and creates his scoring chance. It's real progress. I, I, there's no way around it. Like, I think he, he went and played in the Czech League at this at, at all fall in order to stay on the ice. And, you know, as Jeff Blash will put it, like, it's not a cutesy skill league, really. Like, it's it's a hard league. It's They're going to hit you. And, and he took some hits while he was there. I think he also learned uh, a lot about playing that back check game where you pick a stick and then you're going up the other way. Do I think he's going to be a 40-goal scorer? No, and I did on draft night too. So I was right there with you. I thought like Most I thought that did. was a home run pick. Yeah. Um, but do I think he can be 30? Yeah, I think he can be that. And, and that's I, a great pick. At yeah. six? Right. I mean, great pick. Now, is it every year? I don't know. Like is it 25 to 30 most years? That sounds right to me. Um, you know, you know, is he gonna unseat Anthony Mantha for the top line winger job? I don't think necessarily anytime soon, but you know, you 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 play the matchups right and, and you get the guys with the in the, with the right players. I think he can be you know, a part of a winning top six. Um, but it's not a slam dunk yet either. Like he still has to go prove it against other teams other than this two week camp scrimmage, because a lot of guys have looked good for two weeks camp scrimmage. I thought Dennis Chalowski looked like a stud in his rookie year for the first two months of the season. And then I haven't seen that guy since. Really. That guy in Pittsburgh, they ended up trading him to Anaheim. I think Daniel Sprong, where like he was just lighting I up. I used camp. to love Daniel Sprong yeah. too. Yeah. Everybody, everybody, right. like yeah. he was the because I, I was following the Penguins at the time because uh, you know Jack, uh, my buddy Jack, was there his first year with Pittsburgh. But I was asking him, you know, about the Sprong kid. He's like, oh, he's okay, but I mean, he's like the talk at camp. Yeah. He was lighting everybody up, but then flipped the calendar of the regular right. season. Basically did nothing, Waved pouted, Anaheim, and they, they yeah, traded him yeah, for Pedersen. Him, you're right. So, yeah, yeah, they traded him for Marcus But uh, the reason Peterson I bring Pedersen. up Chalosky isn't to, like, dunk on Dennis. It's just that, like – It's just reality. We, we look at things in small samples, and someone might have a great two weeks or a great two months and whatever, and I'm not writing Dennis off for the rest of his career or anything. It just it – no, I no longer – I thought he was going to be, like, a top pair or at least top four defenseman based on the first two months of his career – and then that it's, hasn't panned yeah, out. Yeah, it's not shitting on him. It's just it's diminished how much stock you put yeah. into those small sample sizes in that context. Exactly. It was. Yeah. A, that's how I mean. It. It's like it was a lesson for me in 
you see something, you you don't just say, okay, and this is what it is. Yeah. These things play out over long periods. So I've seen real improvement from Zadina in these last two weeks to my eyes. I still want to see it against Carolina, Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, all these teams are going to play this year before I say he made this jump, right? And I think a lot of people are going to judge him on production, and I think that's fair because it's what he was drafted to do is score goals. But I do think if you can be a, a, a disruptive winger who creates takeaways, all of a sudden you get Lucas Raymond flooding in here. Yep. And, and you know, you get some of these other players. They're going to have to draft a center at some point here because, like you said, you're not going to win with just one good center. You're just not. You're going to have to have two great centers to win. Um, so you get that flowing in, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, a guy who everyone's talking about lately is Pierre-Luc Dubois because he's, you know, reportedly wants to trade out of there. And like, so you, you plug the pieces and let's just say Red Wings trade their unprotected first round pick for Pierre-Luc Dubois. I'm not saying that this is like a conversation or anything. I'm just saying like, let's say you do that because then it yeah. takes the conversation of the draft pick out of there too. Let's say three years down the load, down the road, your top line is Larkin, Mantha Bertuzzi, or that's your second line, whatever. And your, your other line is Raymond Dubois, Adina. I think that can be a top six of like a good playoff team, yes. depending on what else is around them. So yep. all of a sudden you're like, okay, so I thought Zadina was going to be the star and maybe now he plays a different role, but you know, I still think he's going to score 50 points a year most years. If you look historically at guys that go in that range, you know, six, seven, eight, yeah. if you, you know, you have them pegged, you know, 20 to 30 goals, you know, if the hockey gods just said right now, he's going to go 25, 25 every year, 50 points. Like, sign me up. I'm in for that. And I'd that's, be fine with that. I think that's like, you know. The talent's there, there's, right? it, You're never going to get that level of Chris Davis's batting average consistency out of this. No. But on average, that's about what I think. I you think, are a baseball fan. I, pulling out the Chris well, Davis. Well, there you go. 247, one, baby. 247. That was when it, things were good. <laughs> it got to like 145. No, but he had like three straight years of 247. Yeah. Like the, oh, yeah, the right. model of consistency, I'll right. take Chris Davis in Oakland. Hit, hit this, it was like 242 five years in a row or something like that's that. That's what I'm talking about. It was <laughs> yeah. 242. I thought it was 247. Yeah, yeah, Whatever yeah. it was. I don't know. No, it's, you're right. So, so yeah. it's, you know. I think we're talking about two two different Chris Davis. That's, that's why I got I'm confused. Talking about K- I, thought you were ta- I thought you were talking about C Chris Davis, Baltimore. No, no, no. K H R I S. Yeah, yeah. Because well, Chris Davis, the the Baltimore one, did have the same thing where it was like two forty. Oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was when it was good. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. K K Davis. Had but you the, get my point. Right? Like I think yeah. on average, twenty five yeah. goals, fifty points a year. I think that's like still a reasonable expectation for what Zadina is going to be through his prime. Yeah, and and I think that's still a good player, but you know, Quinn Hughes is number one defenseman. Like, what, but you're seeing you know. the you're see, well, you know, it's I just brought in Hughes yeah. to talk about how depressed I am. Oh, okay, I, I, he's not Hughes. Obviously, they would trade Zadina for Hughes straight up. We would, they wouldn't. But you know, I'm just curious, you know, and you've answered it now. But I mean, is, is it too early to bury him? Obviously, you think so. I think so. Yeah, the engagement has been the key because to me, the talent obviously he also there. wants it. Like he's another guy. He wants it, and and you that's know, why he'll make it. Then there's there's. Uh, you know, I think it's, you know, body language wise, you can see him get really down on himself sometimes. And and that, if anything, is the is the thing that he probably needs to, you know, figure out is like how to stay more level. And you, you talked about Zetterberg earlier. I think of that as his hallmark is like a guy who could stay level through things. Right. Yeah. Uh, but but I think what you see is a guy who's hard on himself. I think he wants it. And I'll and take so, that any day over someone that doesn't give a shit. I mean, and so. that, I think that's actually encouraging. So we'll wrap with this before I move to our speed round. Just in a couple sentences, when does this team get back to Stanley Cup contention? Not saying guarantee they win a cup in 2026, but where you're looking at the board at the Mirage Sportsbook and you see, oh, the Wings are the sixth most likely team to win the cup. Yeah. 2025 or 2026. Do you think they get there? 
to yeah i do yeah and why is it because you like eisman um i you know honestly I, I how can you say that having a good gm doesn't help that but it, it's really more about it's two things like number one i think they're in position with where they're going to pick for the next couple of years no matter what even if they have a great year, even if they do everything i said that is going to make them a success this year they're still going to pick top 10 or 11 probably like, you know what i mean their best case scenario exactly yeah. like it, you, you mentioned at the top the playoffs are like okay you go on a crazy pdo bender and you know whatever like you have 13 straight wins that maybe we could talk about it. But until then, it's just probably not going to happen. Yeah. So I, I think they're going to be picking in the top 10 for the next two years. And then you add that to Raymond and Cider, who I really like both of them. And I think they both go to what we talk about. Raymond is a guy we talk about wanting it. Raymond wants it. I've talked to like everybody in this guy's life growing up for a feature a couple months ago. And he's just the epitome of competitiveness. And and that's the guy that that I think you really want coming in here. Moritz Sider is a guy who, you know, he's got a lot of kind of leadership qualities uh, to him from, from what people say, you know, I, I haven't got to spend too much time around Moritz, but, you know, covering him in Grand Rapids for, you know, seven, eight times. Um, you know, he's, he's a very, you can, you can see that why people would be drawn to him and, and why he stays level. And, and he's got the meanness on the ice too, but I digress. So you add those prospects in, you add the GM who I don't think it's not that I think he's like a savior or anything, because, you know, this drives me crazy with people about Harbaugh, too. Like, you know, I, I went to Michigan, right? So I lived the Jim Harbaugh is here to save us experience, right? And yep. I was covering for the student paper. And I remember it. And it's you set yourself up for the worst when you expect one guy to come in and make it right, especially when it's, you know, kind of a homegrown guy like both of those two are, because if they can't do it, who can? Jim couldn't do it. Who can? If Steve can't do it, who can? Right. Don't put yourself in that spot. But what I do think is he's a guy who's proven mostly that he's not going to make a big mistake and he's going to make more positive moves at the margins than negatives. And those are huge. So when he does hit a home run, that's awesome. But don't come in here expecting him to hit six home runs and, no. and create the Russian five. Just expect him to, to he's in a good spot. He's got a great cap situation of how it's shaping up, not for this year, but for two, three yeah, years down the road. Yeah, projecting out. Right. He's got a, a good farm system that will get to, to the great level if they do indeed pick in the top 10 in the next two years and don't make a big mistake. And then the guys you have in place at the NHL roster are young enough that, you know, you're not going to get the cup when Dylan and Anthony Mantha are in their prime, but you're going to get it when they're 29. You're going to get your crack at least when they're crack at it when they're 29, 30, 31, 32. Yes. Which is still old enough to have a huge impact on it. And that's what I think the difference is. If those guys were 28, 29, and you were at this spot in the rebuild, you'd be real concerned. But I think the fact that they're, they're young enough to be here through it all and keep that culture while being that top line and those top guys, those role models, those producers who are backing up what they're saying, it's huge. And the fact that they're going to still be young enough to go do it on the ice when Raymond Sider Zadina are are full fledged is huge. So that's why I think they can do it. I think they get back to the playoffs in 2023 or 2024, depending on how things go, how quick guys move. And then I think, uh, you know, after you, you're in the playoffs for a couple of years, you've learned some things. That's when you get into that top six or seven on the Vegas odds. But I can't tell you they're ever going to win a cup because you can never tell if someone. No, win well, that's why I phrased it the way I yeah, did. Exactly. You know, not, that's why I said like no one's going to say, okay, what year are they going to win the cup? That's that's tough to do. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's not that it's easy, but I think it's reasonable to expect 
that every so often your team cycles through as one of those five, six, seven most likely to yeah, win and, it. And whether and or not the you great do. TMs and the great teams and the great GMs hold that level for long enough until luck shines your way and you hit on it. Right? right. If you can stay in that top six to eight for six, seven years, I like your odds. Yeah. If you can get there for Jose. two, good luck. Exactly. This is why you're the best, Max. I mean, you just you've laid it all out. You've uh, you've nailed every point. And no surprise, because you're the best hockey writer in the state. Well, that's so. nice of you to say, man. Well, you're you're fantastic. So we move now to, in closing to our little speed round. Okay. Similar to word association, right. but not quite. You can say more than one or two words, but short answers. And it's funny that you mentioned a little man in Ann Arbor named Jim Harbaugh. Okay. You're a Michigan guy. Your skin is not bleeding here. Your first question in the speed round, the Jim Harbaugh extension. Yeah. What do you think of the Jim Harbaugh extension? Uh, I'm fine with it because I didn't. I don't know who you replace him with, and, and reasonably expect to do much better. But I, I can understand people who, who look at me and say, you know, I grew up in a generation where Michigan never beat Ohio State. I have only one memory of them ever beating Ohio State, and it was when Luke Fickle was the coach in that very weird year. I just don't. If, if you want to say it's just because I have too low of expectations, that's fine. That might be true. That's but up to you. I yeah. think I'm fine with the contract extension. It, it's up to you whether you're fine with it or not, frankly. Yeah. Uh, next one, you had a cup of coffee in Pittsburgh for an internship. This was sort of a pet question on my behalf because I'm considering the Red Wings and the Penguins to be two of the best organizations in sports. So who's the better organization? Now, so let me clarify. This doesn't mean historically. Yeah. This doesn't mean who has the better team now because those are two different questions. But just the way they're run from your understanding, uh, the way the operations are run, uh, how smart they do things on a day-to-day basis, who's the better organization? It's a tough question because I never got to cover the Penguins. Like I covered a development camp. And that but was you, cover ho- you cover hockey. You know, you're, you watch the Penguins. You're a hockey guy. Of course, guy. yeah, yeah. And, and I actually think they're fairly similar organizations to how – where the Penguins are at now is probably about where the Red Wings were at in 2011, 2012. Yes. Aging out. I think they're making the same mistakes that the Red Wings did, which is push in. But, but at the same time, I, I can't fault them because I think when you have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, you owe it to yourself to squeeze every last drop of juice out of the orange. And, and so I can't fault them, but I think they're destined to land the same place the Red Wings are. Um, I think Eiserman's a better GM than Jim Rutherford, uh, but Jim Rutherford, it's no disrespect to him. He's won a ton of cups. I just think, you know, and, and frankly, I'd love to cover Jim Rutherford because he seems like he's the most frank. He seems like the most fun uh, from that standpoint. I think I'm going to think I'm going to lean to the Red Wings, but they're like you said, they're top tier organizations. Yeah. And they're I think the two kind of models for how to run things like they don't go cheap on anything. The players love playing in both places. I add Boston to that group. Uh, I'm not as familiar with Boston. Well, you know, just you look at what they've done. Right. And it's it's like, oh, yeah, the, the. and the the way that they've handled, I, I haven't agreed totally with the Tory Krugs, you know, Zidane Char. I think I'd have found a way to keep, but especially um, at that price, it's like it's, yeah, it's playing for like eight hundred. Outside 000. of the twenty fifteen draft, I have a hard time finding too much fault with anything Boston's done in the last decade. All good organizations, and the Wings, as bad as they've been lately, still a hell of an organization. And speaking of the Red Wings and flaws, are you familiar with the red seats? at Little Caesars Arena conspiracy theory that's going out there. They roll out LCA about three years ago, and they have these cherry red seats. They're this beautiful. Right, I actually love the look. Yeah, I love the red seats. I, I thought they were so – I thought they 
were such an aesthetic pleaser. I thought it was so fitting for the brand. And they had this issue where they have Piston games, obviously, and Red Wing games where the attendance was extremely sparse, especially for the Pistons, with both of them. And those red seats stuck out like an eyesore, and they end up eventually putting covers on them and then gutting them completely and changing them to black seats. The Illich group and Tom Wilson, who just since retired, said, oh, we just like the look of the black more. It's just a change in branding. The conspiracy theory is they were so embarrassed, the two organizations, by the empty seats and how glary, how much they were getting made fun of. Were you familiar with the conspiracy theory and do you buy it? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with this conspiracy theory. Uh, I think I buy it. I you mean, buy, yeah, how, so do I. How do you look at those and say that black looks better than than that? That's what they seats. said. It yeah. doesn't. Those were beautiful. And, and you know, here's here's all the proof that I think I, I need to to buy it. They kept the seats red in the practice arena. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> you know, that's a great point. I mean, maybe it was the same money, but to me, it was so like they were getting. I, mean, I was one of the leaders of that brigade, but they were getting just ridiculed for how which what an eyesore was, which it was. But it's like I don't even agree. It was it's like it the the red pops and it's unique. No, it looks like, good. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't look. I, oh, I, empty seats. You're saying that's what I'm saying. Okay, no, yeah, no, no, no. The seats. I'll rephrase. The seats themselves weren't eyesores. I yeah. thought they were beautiful. I loved them. But it was a glaring, like a flashlight on how sparse their attendance was. And they yeah. were embarrassed by that. And the conspiracy was Tom Wilson, Chris Sillich, they're, they're full of shit, basically. It has nothing to do with, oh, we think black looks better. You had 10 years to talk about what seats you wanted. The red clearly looked better. So I'm glad that, see, I thought I was nuts, but that was like a well, common. The, uh, when you look at the ads on what they have in the arena now that they're empty, they're on red backdrop. See, there so. you go. <laughs> see, so you're a buyer in the conspiracy theory. I, I love it. Buy this it. will be a big topic, I'm sure, tomorrow with Kyle Mankey from uh, MLive. Stick to sports, the mantra. I'm not going to do a deep dive. This is your speed round, not mine, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, hockey writers, just journalists in general that are covering sports, sticking to sports versus, you know, dipping your toe into politics. I followed you for a while. I have no idea if you're conservative, (laughs) liberal. I actually happen to like that. But what's your opinion of stick to sports mentality? Uh, I don't like telling anybody what they should or shouldn't talk about. Like, like, you know. I I have strong political opinions and I, I can share them with you or I cannot. That's up to you. But the like, point is, I have no idea yeah, what yours are. It's fine. I mean, it, like I I'm I am of the left, right? But I also just think they're my opinions, and I just don't think I'm that smart. Like I, I would love to think I'm that smart, and I believe what I think wholeheartedly. But like, I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of uh, I don't know if, if it's cowardly or what. But it's just like I am not. I don't know that it's it's that I I don't know that my opinion is. That this is simultaneously unique enough and insightful enough that I want to share it with everything. I also change my mind about stuff. And I find that about myself going back to college that things I, you know, things I really thought really strongly about uh, when I was 18 or 19 are not things I feel the same way about, or at least with the same fervor that I did then or, or you know, whatever they, they shift. So I have opinions and I believe them and I, but I, it's just like a, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I can't really explain it, but you're right that I don't post a lot of it. I, I have a lot of the conversations about it with like my friends and with my girlfriend and it's, it's a part of my life, but um, I, and I, I don't like stick to sports is your question. Like, I, I think if people have something they want to say, it's good for everybody to have the kind of, you know, to have it out there and, and to, to hear it. I just, I don't want to be someone who like, I read a tweet and I go, I agree with that. Let me find my own way to phrase it. And I'm just making the same point as someone else. 
And then a year later, I don't know if I agree with that anymore. And then it's just like, it might be self-preservation more than anything in that sense. But I'm not afraid to share my opinions about things like with people who I'm talking to. It's just that I, I don't know that I'm going to like, you know, bring some unique perspective, number one. And number two, like, uh, you know, when you, when you put something on Twitter, it's there. And what if I change my mind about something and someone has an idea that I think this way about something? And in fact, I think another way about it now. So it's all fair. I, you know, I see both sides. I, tomorrow will be interesting. That's all I'm going to say with Kyle, because I, I love Kyle. I think he's a fantastic journalist, but I've like killed him for his Twitter stuff. And I, you know, I don't tell someone like stick to sports. Like yeah. it's not my, you can do whatever you want, you know, free country. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I just argue from a strategic standpoint, it's kind of like the Republicans buy shoes thing too. It's like, okay, maybe you dip your toe in once in a while, but Kyle, it's like every day talking about how much he hates Donald Trump. And it's like, look, I didn't vote for Donald Trump either time. I don't like Donald Trump, but like, Come on, can you just tell me how Adrian Peterson's looking? So it's like, yeah, you have the right to do it. But, but. you don't have to like worry about every tweet. You know what I mean? Like it's like I, I get it too because what my one thing I will say is I can get very tired of on a Twitter feed. Like it's it's a unique experience because there's really nowhere else where you're getting that many people's opinion all at once. And so politics on Twitter is a kind of a unique experience in that way where, you know, you, you go onto Twitter and, you know, your feed might be designed to give you sports news. And all of a sudden it's like, now I have to hear 800 political opinions right. in short succession. So I get it. Um, and again, you know, it's not something that I like love about Twitter or anything like that is hearing everyone's politics all the time. But I also just like, it is still like, we're like you said, like we're all still like humans and people. And I think, you know, you follow someone on Twitter and you want to hear what they say. And I don't know that you always get to kind of pick and choose what it's about. So we'll leave that there. Okay. I'm curious for the favorite athlete you've ever covered. Now, this isn't about mm. watching them on the ice or watching them uh, zip around. This is the guy, the guy you've covered in the room, friendliest guy, nicest guy, coolest guy. Who was your favorite guy to cover? Boy, that's a really good one. Um, I really liked covering two different Michigan basketball players. Uh, Derek Walton Jr., who I still think is just a, a really good dude and, you know, was a, was a great – it was great to kind of follow the run that he made in 2017 um, where, you know, there was just so much to him. The other guy is still in college, and I covered his freshman year, and he blew me away with how insightful he was uh, at 18 and just engaged he was at 18, and that's Isaiah Livers. Uh, so it would be one of those two. Derek Walton uh, – I would give the slight edge to because I covered him like for two years and Isaiah Livers, I really covered for one tournament run because I wasn't on that beat. I just kind of jumped into freelance their postseason. Um, but that's a good question. I, I think both of those guys are really good dudes uh, and, and were great dudes, good dudes to deal with. Flip side of that coin. And this is the last one. And then you're <laughs> home. You're free to leave. <sighs> the most difficult athlete you've covered. They were a jerk. They wouldn't give you anything. They were difficult in some way. Who is the hardest cover for you? Oh, let's see. There's got to be at least one. No, I'm sure there are. I'm just trying to sort through them here. Doesn't mean they're an asshole. Maybe they were. If they're an asshole, that makes for a better answer. It makes for more interesting. I found covering Miggy really difficult. Cabrera? Yeah. Why? Um, I covered him for one season, so I didn't have much historical rapport with him. Um, He wasn't 
often kind of present in the clubhouse at media hours. And when he was, you know, the, the vibes of like, you know, open to talk were really never there. So I, I found it hard to cover him or really get now, and, you know, any, any kind of meaningful interactions with him. Now, when he would have his press scrums, I think he's one of the better quotes in Detroit sports when he wants to be. But I just found like the year that I covered him, he didn't seem to want to be very much. He's a weird guy. Like he'll he'll be extremely gregarious and then very cagey like the next week. And he gets, you know, I had Tony Paul in here has covered him for years for the Detroit news. And, you know, he, I, I don't want to misquote him because it was about six months ago that we had Tony in, but he was saying something to the effect of like, it's kind of hot and cold with Mickey. So like your experience is mostly cold. It seems like yeah. he said he can be like salt of the earth, the best interview ever, yeah. or he can want nothing to do with you. And he yeah. does have certain, I don't know if you ever pissed him off. He has certain, might have. <laughs> you might've, Tony said something to the, I can't remember if this was on air or off air, but Tony said something to the effect of like, there's certain journalists who just doesn't have interest in talking yeah. to. And that um, might've been me. I don't, maybe, you know, like, maybe you looked at him wrong. God knows. Could so, be. Anyway, that's the end. You're out, man. That was awesome. Thanks You're, for uh, having me, man. Fantastic. Was it, was, it was great to have you. Uh, you got to check this guy out, Max Boltman. I tell everyone to subscribe to The Athletic. You mentioned Craig Custins, who I happen to agree is probably the best national hockey writer. Yeah, he's Michigan State alum, by the way. He's actually been on this show once. He wasn't in studio. He, he did dial in. But Craig's a great guy. <laughs> I wasn't told that was an option. <laughs> yeah, that, it's not an option anymore. That was before we had cameras. So that, you didn't have a choice. So you, I drag everyone out to our little palatial uh, basement studio in <laughs> Rochester, Michigan. It but, is a great studio. Though, there's no doubt. No, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we have a lot more to come. You know, Kyle Meinke from MLive is in tomorrow. A lot going on with the Lions. It's crazy i don't know they might have a new coach new gm all of the above one of the above by the time we go live with that show so we'll see he's going to get you up to date i recommend everybody go follow max boltman on twitter it's let me get this right m underscore boltman right yep, b-u-l-t-m-a-n right. and uh honestly it's a weird season up ahead it's truncated i don't know what to expect but uh, i think max has got me in, in a little bit better frame of mind and i think you really laid things out nicely for the audience so i thank you well i appreciate it i i hope that i didn't lead you astray because that's always the risk <laughs> you, you you led the horse to water man that's i right. feel like i have a much better understanding of where they're at and hopefully our audience does too i'd love to have you back maybe mid-season a couple months it'd be great sure we'll make it work all right max and, and no you can't dial in ever i want you in the studio every time <laughs> Thank you to our producer, Ben Augusta, on the other side of the uh, door here. The all great and powerful Oz behind the curtain, doing great work as always. Shout out to Eric Williamson on his couch and his boxers, probably watching the football game right now. Appreciate the audience. We're going to keep rolling. Spiro Avenue, Justin Spiro, thanks again to Max Boltman. Go subscribe to The Athletic. Seriously, it's like 3 bucks a month. It's crazy. They're always on sale. It's the best buy in town. Justin Spiro, Spiro Avenue. We'll see you soon. 